This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kiora! Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns, the first one for 2021, and it's very, very exciting to do to say that. Um, uh, first of all, sorry if I sound really sick. I my allergies have been driving me up the wall, and my sinuses are really, really blocked at the moment. So I sound horrible and I sound really sick, but I'm actually just fine. I just have severe allergies, and it's something that will just deal with I think I've been trying all sorts of things so if you're listening and you're like oh I know the perfect thing for sinus to like um block your sinuses please let me know because the sister is struggling out here but don't worry not to fear I am not sick um but yeah it feels really good to be back into the swing of things um I feel like I've taken a really good break over the past couple of weeks it's been just over a month or maybe a month and a bit um which has been really really good I think I loved the mahi I was doing with this show last year but I just ultimately wish that I had more time and space and energy for it because I pumped out all of these episodes last year but I didn't have time to like reply to um you guys's emails or even just doing social media I think I did like one post every couple of months and then it was just silence but hopefully I can be um a lot more consistent this year and um this year I have cut back on how many episodes I will do so it will be the same time length but just um every two weeks so fortnightly rather than um every week and I hope that will give me more time and space to you know, do social media and find guests. So hopefully you won't just be listening to me, myself and I this year. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll bring back guests onto the show. Um, and if things work out this year, hopefully there'll be in-person event and maybe different types of content as well, like video um, or perhaps a website. But, you know, we'll take it slow and... <laughs> I'm just really excited to be recording um, and talking and chatting with y'all again. Um, We start the year off with some good news. Um, My dear friend Maddie, she nominated me for a local hero um, award. And yeah, I was one of the 100 people who who are local heroes of the year, which is very, very exciting. And um, now... They've just recently announced semi-finalists, so every category has um, semi-finalists, 10 to be exact, and I'm one of the 10 semi-finalists for Local Hero of the Year, um, which is just honestly amazing. Um, She nominated me for the mahi that I do for the show, and... Oh, I'm just so, yeah, so, so grateful for, 
you know, for her to recognize that, um, it means, it honestly, it means a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm a semi-finalist and I think they'll announce finalists later on, but you know what, I'm just so grateful that I'm even a local hero and I've made it to the semi-finalists. So, um, thank you, Maddie. And yeah, thank you for everyone who tunes into this podcast and believes in it and tunes in and shares it and, you know, listens to it and take, and hopefully you guys take something away from it, but um, just really, really grateful. And it's just such a nice way, such a nice energy to start the year, I think. Um, and yeah, I'm just really excited. So I do have plans um, for guests and to hit certain topics. Like I know lots has changed in the world since um, I last picked up a mic and recorded an episode and um, lots of conversations um going on like for example the all the stuff that came out about the prisons um i would love to do an episode on you know prison justice reform and how prisons and race work together and all those sorts of things um so i'm just yeah really really excited for this year and yeah thank you for joining me for another episode Um, another thing that has happened since we've entered 2021 is that we, there is a new American president who is, who has had his inauguration, Joe Biden. And what happened before his inauguration was just absolutely shocking, absolutely shocking for the Capitol to be stormed like that. I just... It, it honestly breaks my heart because those people who stormed the Capitol, they had all of the privilege in the world and they knew that. They knew they'd be able to walk away with their life still intact. I mean, if you contrast the government's response and the security to those who stormed the Capitol during, you know, the during the Black Lives Matter protests... It's so in your face and you you actually cannot deny the reality. I think, um, you know, during the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of, there was a lot of um, invalidation surrounded by the movement. I think a lot of, especially when it came to the anger, you know, a lot of people were like, you know, it's understandable but you don't need to get angry you don't need to get angry like there was always that anger was always invalidated and not those within the movement but those who surrounded the movement or even those who empathized and said you know like black lives do matter but the anger is not valid there's a better there's a better way to go about things um and I think because this anger was um, invalidated, um, there was a huge amount of security and people were being arrested left, right, centre. People were being hurt, shot left, right, centre. Um, and it was the exact opposite when it came to the capital storming and lives were lost and people were really harmed. And I think evidence has now emerged that, you know, there were locations within the building that they knew about that only people who work there should have so 
obviously there was some inside help going on but you know for that security response just there's no it's right there in your face that there is a disparity there are you know white people do get treated differently to black people and for that to surround Joe Biden's inauguration, it just shows that there's still a lot of tension. I think we need to recognize that, yes, Joe Biden won and Democrats came on top after a Trump administration, but the country is still very much divided. Um, there's a lot of tension um, and when there's a lot of tension like that, like how do you unify a country that's so divided and especially when they seem so divided on opposite ends, right? Like there is a lot of tension and when there is a lot of tension, you are leading a country, you kind of, I feel like the best way to please everyone or to, or to promote unity is meet in the middle satisfy most groups in the country but with issues like this you're either on one side of the fence or the other um so i'm really interest, interested to see where the biden administration will take things this year um but i still think people should remain not vigilant because it doesn't invoke the feelings that I want to invoke, but I think people should remain critical and on their feet in the sense that, you know, Joe Biden is very different to Trump. Um, he's already reversed like the anti-Islam laws that Trump put in and there was something else that he reversed as well. Um, so it, all these things, his actions so far, what he was campaigning for, really, really progressive. And yes, if I was in America, I would have voted for Joe Biden. Um, but I think we still need to recognize that he is a part of the system and he is put in, he is now in a difficult position where he has to unify a country, which means, you know, who's best interest will he have um, on the forefront of his mind I think that is a very careful consideration um, he's not always going to you know he's he's got his work cut out for him um, so I think we should be ready to keep him accountable especially in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement um, things are not going to magically be fixed because Joe Biden is now president. I think we have to, yeah, keep him accountable. I'm, yeah, really interested to see where America goes next when there's been, I think, lots of revolution. I think COVID has kind of exposed that the way that we do things right now is just not working. Um, and there's a lot of people who have been disadvantage for a very very long time um and so yeah I wonder now that he's in the big seat like what will happen but I think we still have to be keep him accountable we still need to bring that energy of um being ready to call people out but 
call out in a productive constructive way because it's never coming from a bad place but more of hey this is this needs to do better like this is not actually going to fix the problem and I think it's something that we see in New Zealand quite often but on a smaller scale um like there are so many um when we're talking about Māori and Pacifica health in New Zealand there are so many socio-economic problems um, and factors, sorry, not problems, factors surrounding that, that it's such a multi-layered problem. It's really hard to separate the two from, separate the factors from one another because you just can't, it's all interweaved. Like, you know, the effects of colonisation, assimilation, um, discrimination, you know gentrification um the laws and policies that have been in place a long time that have um disadvantaged um Maori and Pacifica youth um you know the fact that our systems do not um incorporate or even leave room for understanding for the Maori and Pacifica worldview um like imagine a cultural clash but there's it's you (laughs) and the government and there's you're always going to be on the losing side um it's hard and there are all these things um you know where like people live and I think you know I've talked about it on the podcast how the different ways that these factors manifest um but anyways there are so many like socioeconomic factors surrounding the health the education status the crime rates around um Pacifica and Māori and I think when we've had more labor-led governments there's lots of policies made to um kind of even out the playing field of the system um, but then all of that work kind of gets undone when there's a national um, government following up or leading that those three steps that were taken during those what three to six years that or yeah three to nine years that labor was in government for it's all undone when national government comes through um so it's almost worse because you've taken all these big steps and progress but then gone back so many times and I think that division even though it's not the same tension that's in America right now but there's you know there's that line of division and when someone comes in power and um tries to even the playing field or you know try to Actually, no, with the late, I don't think there has been someone trying to unify in the sense that when a Labour government comes in, they even the playing field, but then a national government comes in and that all that work is kind of undone, um, which is horrible because now all of these, you know, people have had the support that they've been wanting and deserve to have, and now that's all been taken away um leaving them kind of in a worse position than when than in the first place um and so I think that same energy kind of needs to be brought into New Zealand right keeping the government accountable but also how do we 
unify the country in a sense that that if progress is made then it isn't undone when like the opposing government comes in when it should really stay there but how do we make it so people are invested in each other in the sense that oh like actually this even though it even if it doesn't directly affect me this is how our country will better itself this is how our country will make it a better place for all and not just for like how I interact with the world and how my community interacts with the world um and I wonder if this is something that Jacinda's government will think about or how it will play out what it will look like for Jacinda's government but I think if I wonder if that can also be considered in the American context because it seems everything just seems so extreme there but you know whatever country you're talking about even though it might be a bit slower I think we need to make people care about each other more we need people to be invested in each other more because we can we we see it in New Zealand when you know there is radical changes that need to happen um, that protect our most vulnerable when the opposing government comes in and that unity, that connection isn't there, all of that work is just bulldozed over. Um, so there's probably so many, like there a lot of different answers about how we go about this, but I think just looking at what's happening in America, that's kind of what I was thinking about. Like how do we unify people how do we um, get to know each other more and understand each other and see each other for how things really are I think especially when we're talking about our most vulnerable um, sometimes like I wouldn't want the other side to understand because there's a sense of pity um, but rather thinking about just humanizing things more, right? Because when you're reading stuff on the news, um, it's really easy to feel separated from that and it's really easy to um, put particular labels on it. But there's a person behind what we read in the news, there's a story, there are circumstances, and I think that is what's lacking. Um, That is, yeah, something that we really need to understand because I think for me personally I'm thinking about my journey in this space and I think I fell victim to the model myth minority because I just saw as an ethnic person yeah as so for myself as an ethnic person growing up I always noticed that um, my Asian brothers and sisters did really really well um, at school and then I would look at um, my Maori and Pacifica brothers and sisters and I wouldn't see the same and surrounding me there were so many people would make comments about the difference in how like hard um, certain groups would work compared to others and so I think I fell into that myth that you know there's no such thing as 
you know, how disadvantaged you are by the system. It's all about how hard you work. And if you don't work hard enough, then that's it. You you won't go far in life. But, you know, as I've broken free from that myth, I've realized that actually it has, nothing, it has very little to do with how hard you work. There's actually a lot more to it than meets the eye. Um, and since then, I think I have, growing my sense of compassion, sense of duty. Um, I think, you know, I've humanized things for myself and I think we need to give other people the opportunity to humanize things because if we don't, we're never going to have a unified country. Even if the government makes the changes that need to happen, there will always be a, a certain portion of the population that will resent those changes won't understand why they're necessary um and i think that's doing disservice to our country um and especially to our vulnerable people um our disadvantaged population because they don't have the privilege and the dignity of being humanized um you know being reduced to a stat that's not fair um so i think that's just my really roundabout way (laughs) of saying you know i'm really interested as to what joe biden is gonna get up to and just acknowledging the fact that we have a huge role to play as people to keep the system accountable but we also have um, another role to play which is helping others humanize helping others understand um, using you know that radical kindness that I talk about um, to get more people on board Um, and this will be the last time I think this year which I will specifically talk uh, that I will on the show sorry that I will talk about 2020 but I think it is really quick to just quickly talk about it because it was a huge year like sometimes I think about it and I'm like (laughs) that almost kind of feels like a dream because everything that happened in 2020 just seemed to make no sense when you think about it like this time last year COVID wasn't really a huge deal like if you're traveling to China I mean make sure you don't get sick but like (laughs) that was all it really was and then I think we were all really hopeful for the year um you know 2020 it has a nice ring to it people are excited to kick off the year and um and then everything seemed to happen I mean Kobe Bryant passed away sadly and then there were the wildfires in Australia and then the pandemic kind of really took over and we were on our knees at this virus's mercy um the black lives matter movement inflamed and with this pandemic as the backdrop um you know it was a huge election year for new zealand and for america oh gosh i feel like there's probably other stuff but i just can't seem to remember it but um i think what 
I really took away from the year was you are, this is going to sound really silly, like this is going to sound like when one of the genus was like, this is the year that I realized things, this is my year of realization, um, but this is like really the year where it was shown to me that we're in control of what we're in control of and everything else, like we actually just need to surrender um i mean i and i think when we're not the things that we're not in control of we are not in control of mother nature like we were literally and i think from outside of using the rest of the whole world is like we're really at the mercy um of this virus and it stopped everything that we know about this world and how we operate like I think the expectations surrounding how one lives their life and how the world should work they were really set right and it seemed like we could never never change it like there were these things that were set so long ago and had so much power, it could just never be changed. But then a virus comes along and we experience um, a pandemic and realize that, oh, like no one, the world has kind of stopped, especially during that initial lockdown, like the world literally stopped. And that was something that, we would have never thought was possible before before 2020 and we were now having to find other ways of doing things like working from home and realizing that rest is very important and having a work-life balance is really important i think we had a moment to truly stop and realize what things are important like i i honestly do not think that the Black Lives Matter movement would have reached the same fever or level it did when, um, if it wasn't, if there wasn't a pandemic happening, because it would have just happened, happened and passed, like it kind of has beforehand. Um, but I think we reached this point. We reached this point where there was a lot of tension. People were waking up to the fact that the way that we live life is not feasible, not sustainable. Um, like not everything is about money. And, you know, when we hit hard times, the people or the our proportion of the population who are already having it tough are just having an even tougher time and it really highlighted the disparities that we have it really highlighted um exactly how disadvantaged our disadvantaged um population was and that led to a lot of frustration and i think there was this overall sense of you know what's happening right now it's not working it's not working at all um and i think that was like this sounds weird wording it like this, but this is a perfect backdrop for um, the Black Lives Matter movement. I think when you have that combination of actually seeing how bad it is 
for our vulnerable community you know seeing exactly how bad it is for the most vulnerable and disadvantaged is just realized that we need to change things up and that's something that's actually in our control not the pandemic <laughs> that is kind of out of our control but what that is in our control and that's something that we can change and even though for previous years it feels like we haven't been able to change it we can um we can and we must so i think that was my biggest lesson or takeaway from um yeah biggest lesson takeaway from 2020 is you know the things that we are control of we can change and we must change um but the things that are not in our control just surrender and move our energy to what we can control um and to be more specific that the way that things have been working we have seen it through this pandemic that it doesn't work and things have to change and that's in our control um and that will be the last time that I'll bring up 2020 but you know as we've starting to kick off 2021 I think it's something that we have to remember I mean when you go through something terrible like what happened last year well, first of all, you say Alhamdulillah for everything. Um, in Islam, al- oh no, Alhamdulillah means um, like thank you God. Um, but when you say Alhamdulillah for everything, it's whether it's good or bad, you are still grateful. And I think I'm really grateful actually that I am a Muslim and that's something that's so this sense of gratitude is so heavily instilled in our day-to-day practices and on a philosophical level as well um because I think my personality um that's not my like initial nature I think to be grateful all the time or I am a grateful person but just not to the level that um that we think about it from an Islamic point of view, but even if it's good or bad, we say Alhamdulillah for everything because, you know, you go through something like that. Um, You go through something terrible, but there's always some kind of lesson that you learn from it. Um, And that lesson, it was presented to you, the opportunity to learn it was presented presented to you in that particular manner um, because, you know, that's the way that you will understand it better or learn it the most. So, you know, you say Alhamdulillah for everything. So, yeah, 2020 was a very interesting year, but Alhamdulillah for 2020. I, yeah, won't bring it up on the show again. I think the words unprecedented, COVID, uh, 2020, just after this episode, goodbye, see you later, don't want to have it in my vocabulary anymore, but I think it's really important to kind of highlight the lesson, because how can we, how can we move on, you know, and on a personal level, I hope everyone's had, you know, the chance to ask themselves that for their personal lives, you know, what did 2020 mean to you as a person, Um, I think it's really important to reflect I think that's where a lot of learning happens, um, where a lot of understanding comes from. Um, So, 
yeah, I hope everyone's had the chance to ask them what, you know, what was the big lesson from 2020 in personal capacity. But I think for the whole entire world, um, that was the lesson, or it should be the lesson. There's probably other lessons too, but I think when I was just thinking about the whole big picture and state of things, um, that was the one that came to mind the most. Um, and another thing that I want to talk about, and disclaimer, I'm not a finance person, so I'm literally going to read this off an article to kind of explain it. Um, but if you live in the world of Reddit, you probably have heard of GameStop and how that is shaking things up at the moment. Um, but this story is very much a story of people versus Wall Street and Wall Street being this big system, you know, the big guys that take all the money, they can never lose. Um, it's always people who are losing versus Wall Street, Wall Street, sorry, Wall Street, lol. Um, Wall Street, you know, this big system that just seems so bulletproof. Um, but this is a story of the people versus Wall Street, where the people win, and Wall Street is losing, and I think it ties in quite well to um, what I was saying before about 2020, all these things that we read before 2020, we would have thought, actually, there's no way that we can change that, or we can go against it, because it just seems so big and indestructible, and it's the way that's always been done, right, and then here we are, GameStop happens and um, we realize that these things, these systems in place are actually not indestructible and they can be, um, they can be taken away and I thought that was really interesting. So let me explain or try to explain what GameStop is, the whole saga of GameStop is anyway. So GameStop um is a small company they're based in america specifically texas and they own video game shops so um i think they own eb games in new zealand and so in august last year it was trading at a price of four dollars and it had a total value of 280 million um so cool, that was GameStop, it was doing its thing, nothing really noteworthy or special about it. Um, and then uh investment fund, they decide to have shares. Oh no, someone decided in the US investment fund that shares in GameStop were overvalued and they tried to short sell them. Um, so in hopes that the shares would drop in value because they um, assessed that it was overvalued. So this is how short selling works. Um, an investor borrows shares from someone else who owns them and sells them, um, hoping to be able to buy back the shares at a lower pr price. So if the share price goes up, the short seller is looking at losses because um, they'll have to buy them back at a higher price. So this is, you know, where things start to get spiced up because here comes in Reddit. So someone on Reddit um, noticed that the total number of shares sh um, short sold on GameStop 
was a lot larger than all the GameStop shares on issue. So they called the community together on Reddit um, and created um, a huge group of investors to buy GameStop shares. So so this is, let me paint the picture of what we have going on right now. We have a few multi-billion, a few multi-billion dollar hedge funds short selling GameStop shares. But then we have on the other side, 5 million Reddit followers using small amounts of their own money. Um, but, you know, a lot of small amounts added together is quite a substantial pool into GameStop shares. Um, so we have a lot of people buying into GameStop shares, and so GameStop shares have rallied from below $5 in August to now coming up to $480, so the company for a moment was worth $33.5 billion, um, and so far, one hedge fund has declared $3.5 billion of losses and received a bailout from other hedge funds. And, you know, people who, um, you know, out of the 5 million people from Reddit who have put, put in little amounts of their money have been talking about, you know, how they've gained so much money, like not even a small amount, like, you know, for some people, multi-million dollar gains. Um, and so, yes, now their shares are really overvalued. Um, so I'm not too sure where it is now, if you buy into it now, if you'll still be able to make a lot of money. But anyways, um, the irony is, is very real because you have these billionaire managers of hedge funds, they're crying out to be saved from you know these individual small investors who came together because of reddit um which is so crazy so you know wall street is losing because wall street is um losing their trade and so now you know because of this gamestop saga it's like the power has been transferred from this indestructible wall street to those people who you know chipped into um GameStop and so you know now people are saying like you know GameStop um is kind of like the Robert Robin Hood you know money has been given to poor people you know the game has always worked out in the favor of you know the one percent um but now the game has been flipped. <laughs> the rules are still the same, but the, it's like if this was a game, there's a loophole. It's not even, well, I don't know if it's technically cheating. I don't understand the money side of it well enough, but, you know, there's a loophole that's been found now. People have, there's been heaps of stories of people, you know, being able to afford cancer treatment for their families and, you know, people all having these big life changes because, um, you know, they have money now. And, um, and I think this is where, and then the bigger, 
differences, not even um, people against Wall Street. It's like consumers versus owners of companies. And I think the game, this GameStop story has kind of shown that consumers are not just passive anymore. You know, we have the power to drive profits. Um, consumers are now demanding a bit of ownership and control as well. Um, so, you know, maybe this GameStop saga has proven that change can happen or change is coming. I'm not too sure. I guess time will tell, but this capitalist-based society that we're living in, um, the games of the rules of how it works can change. Um, and I'm, yeah, so who knows what will happen long-term because of this GameStop saga, but I think applying this to another context like if GameStop people could do it for GameStop people it could happen for all of our marginalized communities we can do it for black people we can do it for people of color we can do it for our Maori people uh, we can do it for um, our Pacifica brothers and sisters we can do it for our disabled community queer community um, so many, so many, sorry, marginalized communities, we can do it, um, and again, when people realize that, you know, there's stuff that's actually in the realm of our control, we can do it, <laughs> we can do it, I think, we can game stop, um, other areas of our society doesn't just have to be in the specific tense but I think what this whole saga has proven is that you know what we can do it we really can um we can do it um and the final thing that I want to talk about for this episode and I honestly don't know where time has gone (laughs) Time has just seemed to go gone by really quick. Um, but I watched, I love Jubilee videos. I just really love the YouTube channel. I love the different um, communities that they highlight, the issues that they highlight, and how they promote um, good conversation. Like their prompts are amazing. It never comes from a bad place. Um Except for actually, now that I say this out loud, there are a couple of videos um, where I feel like the people that they pick don't 100% represent the community that they want to um, represent in that particular video. Like maybe the selection or the casting of the people that they choose doesn't quite capture the variety. But anyways, compared to other videos on this platform that do similar work I think Jubilee do a really good job of it and recently they put out a video um, where they had hijabi um, Muslim women with to having a discussion with non-hijabi Muslim women so still same religious community but um, you know half of them wear hijab and half of them don't and I think videos like this do a wonderful job of highlighting the variety 
um, within a community because often if you come from a marginalized community or a community that that isn't um, hugely understood there definitely is the sense that um, all homogenous all the same which is absolutely not true yeah which is absolutely not true at all but it's um, I think that's what the public general view is um, because there's very little understanding and yeah so I watched this video and I thought that it was really well done and especially highlighting or empowering actual Muslim women debate on the hijab and have this proper conversation you know to have sisters from the sisterhood um talk about this because i feel like whenever people whenever the topic of hijab and oppression and all these other things are brought up it's always has that energy of um it, it just has the wrong energy about it because it's the people who are talking about whether or not it's oppressive isn't people from the community usually and it makes no sense. Um, so yeah, I really, really appreciated this video. I thought it was really engaging and thought-provoking um, and it was just really nice. Like it had the right energy about it. Because usually I feel a little bit uncomfortable when people are talking about the hijab and whether or not it's oppressive. Because usually the people who say, you know, it is um, oppressive is not people from the sisterhood, not people from the community. And they've taken random quotes from the Quran and made up their minds. <laughs> or that use that one anecdotal story that they have and that's it. That's all the evidence that they need. Um so I just, yeah, I thought it was really, really, really lovely. Um, and so they have, how the video works is they have prompts and then they ask if you agree with that statement to come forth. And then the people who come forth kind of talk about things and then they bring everyone involved in the conversation out to talk about these prompts. Um, and yeah, I suppose as a Muslim woman myself, I just wanted to read a couple of these prompts and then share my thought with you. Because I think these prompts are really interesting, um, really interesting. So the first prompt is um, a hijabi woman is a better Muslim. And my personal view is absolutely not we really have no right to judge people at all um and i think you know you actually don't know that person's life you don't know what they get up to like i wear the hijab and i don't pray consistently. I'm really trying to, and I'm starting nice and slow. We're slowly incorporating my prayers into my day, but I'm not perfect. And like prayer is one of the most basics of of Islam. But I know people who don't wear the hijab, who dress however they want to dress, 
because um, that's another thing I think people don't realize about the hijab. It's not just about what you're wearing, if you're, you know, wearing the hijab or not. Hijab is um, tied to the wider discussion around modesty. And modesty is in how you dress and how you behave. So not only does that mean wearing the hijab, but it means like wearing long clothes that are loose fitting. So people can't really see, you know, the outline of your figure. And from your behavior point of view, modesty is making sure that you don't swear and you keep things pure. You keep your intentions pure appeal sorry not poor um you talk well you speak well of others um you try not to bring attention to yourself um so you don't become attention seeking um all these sorts of things right and there are women that i know who don't wear the hijab they you know, wear the tight clothes that they say you shouldn't and show all the skin, <laughs> but you will catch them praying there five times a day. Like there's just no scale, I feel like, for deciding who is a better Muslim. I think that is something that humans do not have the ability to comment on who is a better Muslim. Of course, just like if you... Like if you, I mean, I think there is a difference, right? When you can tell when is when someone thinks that they're a better Muslim than you, and they and they let you know. Um, and then there's a difference between when you genuinely care about a sister and you see them doing things that will only hurt them, or in your eyes think will hurt them. All you can do is advise people or just check up on them and see if they're okay, but. I think that that has a different energy to when you think you're a better Muslim than someone. You're just like, mm, I'm a better Muslim than you, and you should you should stop doing that because, you know, otherwise, if you stop doing that, maybe you can become a great Muslim like I am. You know, there's a huge difference between those two intentions, and I think we can always look out for each other, and if we have our hearts in the right place, like have that intention of looking out for each other. Um, even if you tell someone, hey, I think you should do this, that intention of looking out for each other, you can you can pick up on that rather than people who are like, oh, I'm a better Muslim than you. Um, I just don't think anyone, any human has the ability to judge that. That is up to Allah when it's the day of judgment um so for those of you who don't know the day of judgment is you know the day when the world ends and then um God will will judge you for your whole life and um you know he will look at everything that you've done you know weigh up your intentions your actions your everything um and on the day of judgment you know it will be decided if you will reside in heaven or hell um so jannah or jahannam is what we muslims say and um i think that is only 
only God can do that. So no, I do not think a hijabi woman is a better Muslim. And I think other people who are outside of the Muslim community should, shouldn't think that as well because we just have, yeah, we have no idea. We have, yeah, we have no idea about what that other person get, gets up to. So no, that is the short answer, but I went <laughs> about the long way round of explaining that. Um, another prompt that I thought that was really interesting was I have been harassed for wearing hijab. Um, yes, in many contexts, um, you know, because... The reason why we wear our hijab is is to protect us, essentially, um, to protect us on a physical sense because we are covering our bodies. Um, you know, we can make sure that, you know, people won't be able to make any kind of assessment on our bodies. Um, but also there's another part to this conversation as well. In the Quran it also says for men to lower their gaze. Um, so it's not just on the woman. Um, and we should, just in a wider sense, be raising our sons in a different way to look at women's bodies differently and to treat women differently. Um, because I think every woman, if you had asked the same question to every woman on this entire world right now, it didn't matter what they dress like, um, I think we'd all kind of come to that same conclusion that in one way or, or another, you know, we have been harassed by men, which is just totally unfair. And so even though the hijab is meant to protect has not protected me from um, being harassed um, because I have been and I think what you wear, what you don't wear, it honestly doesn't matter. Um, I think women, and there's all sorts of ways that you can experience being a woman, but whatever way you experience being a woman, yes, people have been, women get harassed and so yes, I have been harassed for wearing hijab, but as I read this out loud, I think I've misunderstood the um, prompt. But yes, I have also been harassed for wearing the hijab as well. Um, yeah, and I think that's the reason, one of the reasons why I struggled so much with my identity because I just seemed to be having a tough time of it wearing the hijab. Um, but anyways, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, coming at your fortnightly this year, and hopefully, um, next time I sit down and have a chat for the show, it will be alongside someone else. So stay tuned to think, to find out who that someone else will be. Um, catch you the next time. Thanks, folks. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.